Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Decided Heart Effect, the DH Effect, as we affectionately call it. I'm Hillary, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Sonia. We invite you every week to come take action and live with a decided heart. Today, we are joined by David Paris, who can best be described, I think, as just a born educator. Not only does he teach and direct social and emotional learning to middle school students, God bless you, and he uses his writing to teach through his adolescent age books, but now he is stepping up again to take his experiences of being one of the first to have COVID, be hospitalized for three months and survive coming back with a a story that is not just about his recovery and hope, but also gosh, a lot of humor thrown in, and that's called a COVID story. Thank you so much for joining us today, David. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And yeah, I'd love to just share the, the interesting journey that took me into a coma that uh, faced, had me face some of my biggest life questions all at once. That absolutely was a decided heart moment and excited to share that with everybody. And David, you know, you exemplify what Hillary and I speak of or ask, we say, who says, who says, and when we look at, you know, everything that you have done to where you are now, um, I I always think about, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? We get that question so much. And for you, it's almost as, you know, what my heart desires, (laughs) because with all the experiences that you've had and the DH, the decided heart part. I wanted to, to kind of break it down is these are experiences when we know that our heartstrings are being pulled in one way or another. We feel like, oh, that experience, I'm feeling something. Yeah. What's really important to our show is the effect. Is mm. that our, our guests not only had decided heart moments, but they settled in it, they reflected, and then they took action. And we want to challenge you because looking at you at your life experiences, we're we're sure you have multiple. DH effects. Is there one that it was significant that shifted that maybe it perhaps made this significant shift to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. The I was um, I got COVID back in March of 2020. Um, within days, I was short of breath. They put me um, in the hospital. Within a few days later, on a ventilator, they said I was going to die. They put me on an ECMO machine. And I was in a coma for 30 days. And during that time, you know, it's funny, people wonder whether you meet God or you, I didn't meet God, unfortunately, but (laughs) there was a moment right before I was going to go into, my heart stopped four times uh, when I was in a coma and I was the sickest person in the hospital uh, with COVID that survived. Everybody else passed away. And I remember the moment when I knew in my dreams, it was a little different, that I was faced with death. And the death came in the form of a theater, um, which <laughs> it's interesting, it's a theater because um, I think I represents life. And I actually knew for the first time in my life, oh, I was about to enter into the, the afterworld. And without knowing that, um, I, before, before the coma, I had a pretty rich life. I was a seven-time acrobatic dance champion, 30 years of really doing amazing teaching in the school system. Um, America's Got Talent finalist uh, and had a really decent marriage and a really good good life. Um, in my 40s, things kind of fell apart. I didn't have any of those things anymore. And I felt, you know what? I had a good life and I was done. 
and I felt kind of numb and being in that coma and being finally faced with that moment. Oh, are you ready to die? I actually wrote a will before um, that week I got COVID. I was like, all right, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to pass away. And I realized, no, actually, I absolutely want to live. And I fought with the Buddha. The Buddha is telling me, no, you're going. And I said, no, I, I, I really want to live. And that moment um, took me 30 days to come out of that. But when I woke up, it was not easy to come back to this world because you experienced in your coma, maybe it was the drugs. Um, but I hear a lot of people say it's not easy to come back because you experience a level of peace. Um, and almost every day afterwards, especially when waking up, I would sort of struggle with all the pain in the world. Why enter back into this world where there's so much suffering? Mm-hmm. And I had to go back to that moment of, because I want to live. I actually don't want to just let this go. I had a good life, but no, I want more. And I had to remember, okay, what is it that I love? Well, I love acrobatic dance. Um, and I knew that this was going to be important to me. I want to do that again. I love being a teacher. I know that when I do social emotional learning, which is um, really working on kids' ability to relate to each other, connect to themselves, be effective in the world, not just academics, but their social lives and their emotional lives, uh, I'm a director of that in the middle school. I've done really, really great work. I'm not done. We just started this work. You know, it's new, and I can't, I can't let myself um, just go into um, into that into that nothing void. There's too many things I want to do. So this moment, it's funny. I really before I thought I was just ready to let it go and just let let the world be as it is. And it's like, no, I I want to live. And for this past year, there have been tough times in which uh, I, I faced depression and anxiety and it's really not easy to um not everybody has ptsd after uh being intubated i, I definitely did and um the thing that's helped the most is remembering that moment and um saying i, I do want to live there are things i want to do and then there are things that would pull me forward instead of just being upset about what happened oh. i have to tell you um you know your will to will to live I was doing a little bit of creeping, you know, before we have a guest on, we go on and we're watching the videos and seeing, by the way, amazing dancer. You are so graceful. It is just really fun. I highly encourage people to go on and watch, especially you were on um, America's Got Talent with Zoe, just beautiful. But what was really fun for me as I was going through and watching some of these videos is I, I was like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the comments. And do you know, I expected to see I expected to see like, oh, great dancer, blah, blah, blah. And and yes, there was some of that. But what I saw was, you know what? Mr. Paris was the best teacher. <laughs> I love Mr. Paris. Oh, Mr. Paris, David taught me. It was all, it was the people you taught dance and, and your middle school students who had all these lovely things. Oh, he taught me several years ago and I still remember blah, blah, blah. Even all the way back to high school, apparently you were a football player as well. Yes. Um, And so it was so fun to read that because I think what's so fascinating and I would love if you can, if you can share, I guess, with, with our audience, here is this man who has touched so many lives, has influenced so many people. And yet before COVID, you're like, well, I guess I've lived my life. Mm. I got shivers uh, all through my body. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's really hard to share, but the truth is, is I woke up, um, in pain. I woke up feeling I was a failure and, um, feeling I wasn't married and, uh, I didn't have kids. I got divorced and even all the impact I had on everybody, 
was not significant to me. I thought it was, um, and some would, to be honest, not just numb, it was even a failure. And um, for a number of weeks, my I couldn't take hearing other people. I just had my sister be the person in front. So nobody, I wouldn't talk to anybody because I was just trying to uh, reconnect to the world. And I was in pain. I was in pain. I was very, very lonely. And when I finally started connecting to people, and especially in social media, it was a, a, the best gift in the world. I actually got the eulogy where I got to hear people share their love. <laughs> and um, what I didn't know, I sort of knew, I, didn't, I knew people who were uh, the closest to me. I knew I impacted them in their lives. And I felt that. What I didn't know is even the smallest difference. The middle school teacher, it's hard. Some of the kids will show you the hardest, you know, they won't show you they're depressed. They, when kids are depressed, they get um, attacked. <laughs> so it's not safe for them to show how, how bad they feel. They'll show their anger. <laughs> and I know as a teacher of 30 years, uh, the best way to, to deal with any student is just with love. And so uh, more than being a literacy teacher, social emotional learning teacher, I always brought every day, how much love can I bring into these kids' lives? I didn't know it was as impactful as, a, as that as what you say. I got those comments on America's Got Talent video, but also when I woke up, I saw uh, so many people reached out to me, uh, not just kids, but also my my Latin dance students, acrobatic students, and some of the most touching things was like one guy from India who I taught 12 years ago. Uh, in my classes, I give everything of who I am and the best information possible. I try to share, hey, look, you can do everything. And by the end of the class, they do things they never thought was possible if the instruction is there and the love is right. And that's who I am as an educator. Um, but I didn't know that these were making such a deep impact on people. And for that moment onwards, there are two, seeing social media, um, I also got a parade when I came home. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but I got a parade of about 50, 60 people from my circus world, from the dance world, from uh, teaching, from salsa, uh, even some boy friends. I got friends from high school, but for the record, nobody from middle school showed up in my life. Not <laughs> saying, but uh, in general, I had a whole spectrum of love. And I really, it's not just me. I think most people who share who they are we have a far deeper impact. And although I still struggle with some things um, one year later, the one thing I never struggle with is I never struggle with significance. I know um, I know it from the way people treat me. If I'm feeling bad and I see some, just yesterday, somebody was jogging right by me and smiled while I was feeling sour. And that filled me for like an hour of joy. And we have such a more bigger profound impact on people than we ever know. and. It's a process to like, how can, but fortunately, one of the nice things from this very tough experience was, yeah, I'll never forget that I'm more significant than I ever realized and welcoming that at all moments. You know, um, there's multiple effects that has happened. I mean, for you to even decide, I want to live, you know, that's an effect. Yeah. Like, and, and just showing up in that and doing the work and showing like, I am, this is going to be my life, but you wrote the book. A COVID story. Um, so not only did you say, I'm going to be present, I'm going to show up again, but how can I impact as many people as I can through this journey that I've been on? And and this book is, it's so interesting. It is, a, I'm calling it a graphic novel or graphic it's book. It's a graphic novel, that's fair. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> I'm a middle so school teacher, so that's my, my, my first audience is, is people 
who struggle with reading and, and I, I struggle with reading myself. We all need pictures, don't we? Yes, we do. And so I'm thinking the audience is vast and, you know, Hillary with your English background, you know, she's definitely a reader. And I'm like, can you show pictures? Yes. <laughs> first generation, you know, I was a first gen um, student and my immigrant parents did not read to my sister and I, we did not know words and vocabulary as well. And so, um, and we're such a visual literacy society now. So anyway, I so appreciate that. But I, um, I do want, if it's okay, you talk about the very beginning of this, the book is the tale of two wolves. And I feel like the tale of two wolves is so much the essence of how everyone shows up in their life. Can you talk more about why you decided to start with the story? Yeah, um, before even telling the story, I'll share with you, I woke up so grateful to be alive. I felt, my God, they, the, the New Yorkers came through for me. They flattened the curve. I wouldn't have got the medical care necessary if people, if things weren't shut down. Um, got great, uh, the doctors made great decisions for me put me on ECMO machine, uh, very few people survived. When I just felt so grateful and happy. For that first month, I was just getting so much love. In the third month I was in the hospital, as I was in a rehab center, I had this horrible thought. And I thought to myself, you know, as lucky as I am, I'm also unlucky. And I sort of took in what, what it meant to be unlucky. Like, wait a second, my brother had COVID. He's the one who gave it to me. He was sick for a week, he was fine. Why did I get this disease? I'm 48, I'm relatively healthy. Why, why did this happen to me? And I got immensely depressed in that week, probably more depressed than I've ever been in my life because I felt, um, I also took in the fact I couldn't move. I couldn't press, I couldn't change the remote. I didn't have power in my, in my hand. One year later, I'm lifting people again. But for that first uh, few months, I couldn't stand, I couldn't walk, I couldn't do anything. And I, I felt really sorry for myself and just sorry about the world. And that's when I remembered this, this, this is not working for me. <laughs> These thoughts are just making me uh, pain. And that's when I remember the tale of two wolves. The tale of two wolves, for those who don't know it, um, it's a very famous story about a, uh, it's told from a few different uh, indigenous tribes, um, but most people say it's Cherokee, maybe uh, Dakota. But anyway, um, a grandson uh, tells his, uh, uh, sorry, grandfather tells his grandson, you know, in life, we have two wolves inside of us. They're constantly asking for our attention. There's a bad wolf that's like negative, is always seen, is angry, is jealous. And then there's a good wolf that is kind, loving, and um, warm and, and, and generous and has a lot of gratitude. And then the grandson asks, um, okay, uh, well, which uh, wolf is gonna win? Uh, obviously two wolves are gonna battle. And the grandfather says, the one you feed. And I never understood that story until that moment after a week of intense depression. I thought, oh, I see. These thoughts that I have about what the world is, is just one perspective. The two wolves gives us, we have control over our emotions. We have control over our thoughts. What we give into that will dictate what happens in the world. And I had the same exact situation. I had a great first month waking up at a horrible uh week right after that, nothing had really changed other than my mindset. And when I understood that, I said, okay, I need to start feeding that one that is positive. And that meant I'm gonna slowly get better. My dance partner said, you can't move anything but your arm, just move your arm as beautifully as possible. And when I did that and relished in it and didn't think, oh, I need to do a standing ovation show, which is what I, I was fortunate enough to have given my whole, you know, for many, for decades, um, I just had to appreciate what a movement was, and what it meant to me. 
um, it meant that I started writing some books and felt, okay, I can't uh, do a lot of things, but I do love writing. Um, and I started connecting to, I don't need to have uh, certain destinations for happiness. I can be happy now and connect to the people that are around me. That's what I missed before the poem. I missed the joy of connection to people. I thought I had to be happy by doing things. I was brought up in that system. I was a football player, as you said. I needed to, to get girls. I thought I had to be the captain of the football team. I was captain of the football team. I didn't get any girls. But, <laughs> you know, it, and that's a, you know, it's a metaphor for so many things that I didn't realize that the happiness is um, in what you bring to it and the wolf that you feed in the moment. If you feed the wolf that you're only going to be happy when you achieve something, you're going to miss out a whole lot of life. And I did. Um, and that was a heart moment for me. The effect of is from this day forward, I said, I'm not going to wait for happiness. I'm going to find whatever happiness is with my roommate, my, my friends, and just, or even that jogger who just walked it down me. You know, I have this great joy of my dance partner, Zoe, her one-year-old son. He just tells me every day, it's so great to balance on a little curb and go, wee, <laughs> like this. It's like, oh my God, I thought I had needed a standing ovation to be happy. No, I can be happy just with people. So that for me was, I think that's a long answer. I apologize, but um, that's the, that was the DH effect for me. Sure. No, I, I love that. That's not, please don't apologize because I think it's so it's funny uh, in my life coaching business. I use, I use that analogy a lot with my clients, but I call it hope and fear. Mm. And it just is. And it's, are you going to feed the fear? Are you going to feed the hope? And it's when you're waking up in the middle of the night, picturing it. I mean, I do, I want to just put an exclamation point on it because that is such a valuable tool for our listeners and watchers right now to literally picture hope and fear and to talk to them. You're not crazy. It's okay. You can do it. Right. And just to say like, okay, fear, I see you. What are you telling me? What do I need to know about you? Is there any of that that's valid? Is there anything I need to do because of that? All right. Thank you. You stay there for a sec. Heal. <laughs> and then you go over and you talk to hope and you're like, up. Oh, you know what? I like where this is going. I'm going to put this lens on. I'm going to look through these eyes. And so now you may go fear and I'm going to give you lots of yummy food. <laughs> um, and, and it sounds ridiculous, but that visual, we are so anchored as you were saying, Sonia, we're such a visual society that I think we often need those analogies and we need that actual visual tool we can use to help pull us out of victimhood and move us forward as the heroes and the authors of our own stories. If I can highlight that distinction, um, one of the things you said that I think uh, in the story is so important that we do acknowledge that there's a wolf there. We're not saying only feed and not acknowledge that there's this other wolf that doesn't clamor for our attention. The clamoring of attention is great. Okay, something's wrong. What does that mean? The wolf, we're just not going to keep feeding it because when you get stuck there, it's not any good. And so I love that clarification of, okay, notice, but then also where are you going to go with it? I also want to highlight um, something um, in your acknowledgements. You have so many people that you are grateful. I got for. other people mad that I didn't put them in there. <laughs> and, and zip code. And I want to think, you know, you said the entire state of New York. I mean, really, you know, but I think that's so important for the DH effect as well is that we, and this is why Hillary and I together started this is we can't do this alone. And that connection with humans is so it is one of the intuitive things that makes makes us survive 
you, I want to pick on sister because you do, you have an entire paragraph <laughs> on her. Um, and maybe I'm biased because I'm so close to my sister too, but he's a twin. I'm a twin. So I'm like, oh, sisters. Um, she made incredible decisions and was tirelessly advocating for my life. She was a conduit for, to a large community and she deserves a medal for her work in my behalf. And I stick to that because even when we're not, you know, you were in a coma. I mean, you were not existing. You were battling life and death in another time and place. Yeah. And you absolutely needed this community. And I'm going to get all to it. And, and a leader in that to ensure that you come back. And, and can you speak a little bit, and, and maybe perhaps this is self, the social emotional learning as well with everyone that we work with. Can you speak to that in terms of the community that helped you find the light again back to, to living? Okay, more shivers. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, my, my sister, I, I, there's so much to say about what she did for me. And, you know, my sister and I were not that close um, for about, about 30 years after um, our teenage years. I always looked up to her, but we really went separate ways, even though we live really close to each other. Um, she's the one that made the decision that I go to the hospital that saved me. She's the one uh, that was telling us, no, get them off these experimental drugs that don't work um, and followed every single day, did hours of research um, for on my behalf to make sure the doctor was making the best decisions possible for me. She was my, it was interesting. She was my health um, proxy. So she was the one to make those decisions for me. And I actually saw, originally signed off that I didn't want to be resuscitated. And she changed that. And um, that's, yeah, I know she, she saved my life in so many ways. And, um, and then she was, she would write daily emails um, to a community of thousands of people um, that would update them what was going on. So they felt a part and I'm pretty sure prayers work. I had thousands of people praying on my behalf. Uh, she was a conduit to that. And it wasn't done then. Then when she, she made, uh, when I did wake up, she was the person who I said, you're in charge. I can't deal emotionally with anybody. Anybody has to go through you. So she became a shield for me um, that allowed me to just heal in whatever way I needed to heal. And after that, she would visit me multiple times a day, sorry, multiple times a week, um, bringing me things, giving me uh, company. Um, when I got home, she was my nurse to help. I had a stage four uh, bed sores, which meant I had uh, the holes of a grapefruit in my butt. Uh, she would do the dressing changes for me. Um, and all those things were still doesn't compare to just being loved. And when I knew that I was cared for, it helped me experience why I needed to be back in the world. So there's, there are probably a hundred or so people that deserve credit for their caretaking. I highlight my sister um, to give an example of when people, because really there are hundreds of people who reached out to me and were able to give me care. What we do for people who are in crisis, and I was in crisis, um, you'll make the, the deepest impact far more than you'll ever know. Um, and when we talk about the COVID, you know, really there's going to be a second um, wave of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of COVID, these, which is the mental health wave that's, that's coming. I know that's not been easy for me, and I've been able to reach out to so many people um, for help. And if you weren't hit by COVID, but you can help somebody, uh, your impact will be a thousand times more than you'll ever know. And we are so appreciative. And it doesn't have to be COVID. It could be anybody's debilitated in any way. Um, that love and care is, is golden. Wow. 
Can I, I, it is so powerful, but if you can for a second speak to, there's such a fine line. And so I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to be drawing on your, your cell background here for, for a second, because, you know, it is so important for us to connect, to be advocates, but there is that tipping point where you can sometimes keep someone in victimhood where you can somehow, you can create a, a codependence where you're not healthy as the advocate, right? Because you've given that, that piece, yeah, that piece away and you're, you're drowning in it, right? I often tell people like when you are, when you are um, so empathetic that you're crawling under the rock and allowing it to roll un- roll over you as well, that's yeah. not helpful. So do you have some, some thoughts also for our listeners? I mean, it's important for us to show up, but how do we do that while still protecting ourselves and not hurting the other person by keeping them from ever rising and being a hero? I can, the best, the best way I can explain this is when I had people, um, whenever the nurses saw my condition, they didn't let me know once that I've never experienced any sympathy from any of the nurses. There was no pity. There was no um, looking down on my experience. And mind you, I could barely move for a month or so. Um, And there was none of that. They were all just encouraging me at any moment. I would highlight them. I would highlight, I had a friend come who saw my wounds and just started crying and wanted to give me a hug. The moment I started crying, uh, she hugged me and tried to console me and I stopped crying. (laughs) And I had to tell her, no, actually, if you just stay one foot away from me, just let me cry this out. Uh, And I did, and she didn't understand. And I highlight both of those things because it's what you said. Um, We wanna be able to connect to what the patient needs. Um, And I had every single person, it's funny, Zoe, my dad's partner, coordinated the guests and she said, you know, Dave, don't, um, when, he, when you visit him, he may only want to listen to you for five or 10 minutes and send you away. That has to be okay. And so uh, she trained everybody to, when they came to me, to just be open to what I needed. And sometimes I needed five or 10 minutes and I, it was too much. Uh, other times um, I wanted to just talk sports or talk something else. Um, and the t- toughest times were people who thought they knew what I needed. So mm-hmm. the sh- I hope that answers your question. Like, the biggest thing is um, no pity, please, and ask what does a person need. I had hundreds of people ask, and I always told them what I needed, and give them space to figure out what they needed, and give them space to change their minds <laughs> because I might need something for one minute, and I say, oh, actually, this is not working for me. Um, and yeah, I, I think I had a friend who I just said, just just listen to me cry. I, I cried a lot every day for hours. And um, after 20, 30 minutes, I was kind of done. I said, okay, now you tell me something. And just that level of openness uh, and not assuming what the other person needs um, made a huge difference to me. And that's what I would suggest. I, I just, just to ra- listening, I love that. That was so beautiful. And I'm, I'm listening and kind of wrapping it up. What's going through my head very, very simply is both people have to be out of ego right? You can't be too prideful to not ask for what you need. So hooking in and really thinking that, but then on the other side, when we assume we know what the other person needs, or we even become so empathetic that the other person cares for us instead, we're making it about us. So I hear like, 
All right, everybody, like just let's take the egos out of it and just connect heart to heart and be willing to listen and receive. I mean, that's that's really what it boils down to, I think. And then, the you know, we struggle in uh, I think everybody struggles in figuring out what they need. Um, and there are times um, where I, I think uh, when I first came home, everybody wanted to take care of me. And I was like, no, I, it may take me 20 minutes to walk up six, <laughs> six stairs. But I need to do that for myself. A month later, no, I wanted help <laughs> to clean up my <laughs> Yeah, definitely cook for me. But I did this with one hand. I tried to cook as best as I could um, in the beginning, which was important. So yeah, just giving space also for the patient, um, helping them figure out what they need, not too aggressively, but just listening from the heart and giving them that space. Yeah, it's really great. Well, I mean, I know this is, these are our conversations that is going to continue on and on. And, and we have to, we have to close the conversation just for now. I don't want to, I don't want to. I know, Hillary, I know. Um, but I do, is there anything else that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with um, before we go? And then I, I know they're going to want to contact you. How do they find you in your work that you're doing? Yeah, if you found, um, the book I wrote is The COVID Story. And um, it's on David Paris books, or if you look up, a COVID story, it'll show up. And if you are interested in anything I shared, um, it's a funny book. It's uh, not, um, it's, it's, it's humorous, it's philosophical, uh, and it's uplifting. Anybody who's read it's been said they couldn't put it down. Um, you can check that out on davidparisbooks.com. And if you'd like a free digital copy, just email me. It's my pleasure to share and share with as many people as you like, because um, I think it's an important story. But I also write these great adolescent stories for kids that uh, are short stories and um, have them think about their lives. I'm a social emotional learning director. And so all the stories are, again, they're, they're gonna be funny first and have a lesson behind it at the end. Um, I'm also doing a app for people uh, called Life Goals for the Classroom. So for kids who wanna pursue their life goals and how to help them pursue their any goal that they have. And then also we're working on life goals um, for the family. So work, families working together uh, as a unit for everybody keeping each other accountable, loving each other, and then getting the most of what they want from life. So these are some, some things to check out. Oh, and then also my dance company, Paradiso Dance. And if you look that up uh, on YouTube or um, paradisodance.com with a Z, uh, you'll see Zoe and I do some great shows. And it's possible. I talked to a producer on America's Got Talent. We're talking about getting uh, doing another show uh, for the next season. So awesome. hey, please look out for us there. And uh, if we do well, vote for us. If not, just uh, maybe ignore it. <laughs> I, I love this. We are going to have all of these links available too when, when people see this on YouTube or when they listen on all the podcast places to make sure that they can look it up. But I do have to, before I hand it off to Sonia to, for the final goodbye, I have to just say it is so funny. And I meant to say that earlier. I love that because the way we are as humans, it can't just be that when we're learning the heavy things, like we can't just sit there. I love how you, you're able to also bring in fun and bring in, I mean, as I was reading it, I got the giggles a couple of times and here you are like re reflecting on your coma and I'm laughing, <laughs> but, but that is, it's so important. Like we forget, you know, David, I just, I have to thank you for that so much because when I have families that come to me or, or like, or people who come to me and they're just, they're in this place that is so hard. My first question is always, what are you doing for fun? Great. And you know what the answer always is? They don't know, right? Oh, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for, for 
these powerful messages, but with fun. Sure. That's right. That's right. Sure. All right, everyone. All right. I, I do have to, I, I can start a whole new conversation and we tend to do that, Hillary, but <laughs> one of the things that I'd like to leave our viewers and listeners with is say hi to the two wolves, <laughs> acknowledge that they're there and then choose which one you will feed. We hope you feed the one that's <laughs> the positive one, but you choose. And then as you're choosing, recognize how much of your ego is in it. And, and how are you showing up for yourself? How are you showing up for others? And please smile, smile, <laughs> because that's so impacting, David, that one jogger who smiled last gave you joy for a whole hour. An hour, yeah. And we are so much, the energy that we put out in the world is the energy that, that exists. And so if we just smile with one another as we're passing by, what an impact we'll make. So I wanna make a challenge that I want everyone today who's listening or watching, smile to a stranger put joy in the world for one hour. So everyone, we do hope that you also um, enjoyed this conversation with David Paris. Thank you so much for joining us. What um, an amazing human being you are and the incredible work that you're doing. To our viewers and listeners, please subscribe, right? We have amazing guests like David Paris that you can return over and over again. You can find him, we'll have all the links. Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us in all the podcast platforms that you listen to. We hope that you're inspired to live with a decided heart. Thank you, everybody.